0: The following presentation is based on a talk delivered at Colorado Mesa University on November 6th, 2023. If you're listening to the audio version, but would like to view the accompanying slides and images, we encourage you to check out the video format available on YouTube and Rumble.
1: Well, I'd like to welcome everyone. Um, I'm Ticey Belcastro. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in Grand Junction, Colorado in private practice. My company is Counseling with Ticey. And I'm presenting today with Dr. Katrina Caton.
2: Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Caton. I'm a licensed psychologist, and I run a practice here in Grand Junction called Individual Matters. And I'm excited today to talk about compassion fatigue.
1: And we'd like to begin by just asking some questions for you to hopefully ponder. Like, what comes to mind when you think of compassion fatigue? How do you think it's different from burnout? And what might the signs be of compassion fatigue?
2: So those are the questions that we're going to answer today. We're going to talk about exactly what is compassion fatigue and define how it is very different from burnout and also how it's alike. We're going to look at the signs of compassion fatigue as well as some of the risk factors. Then we'll move into preventions and solutions. And then at the end, we're gonna talk a little bit in depth about boundaries and why they matter. Okay, so what is compassion fatigue? Um, There is a long definition, but I think it breaks down to um, professionals who work in environments where there's prolonged exposure to other people's trauma. And that's really the key aspect. So we're helping others, we're talking with others, we're seeing things that are happening that are traumatic, And as a result, the care professional experiences secondary or vicarious trauma. So Tyson, maybe you could talk to us a little bit about the differences now between burnout and actual compassion fatigue. Sure. So
1: burnout really happens when you're overworking and experiencing occupational stress. Healthcare providers, people in the caring professions, you know, they often work really long and demanding hours. In hard work settings where um, you know resources might not be as needed or the systems they work within don't always work well and there's a high level of documentation which is so needed but also uh, you know just adds to the workload and these environments can be really stressful so the symptoms of burnout build slowly and they add to the normal life stressors that we we all already have They sort of bleed over into other aspects of life Impacting our relationships, our physical health, and our mood. Burnout creates physical and emotional exhaustion, um, heightened feelings of pressure, and less overall life satisfaction. Burnout can happen with any profession or occupation. It kind of leads to a, a loss of motivation, disinterest, and low energy. The thing about burnout is that often we can we can work with it by taking a vacation, you know, getting some rest, receiving some new training and trying to renew or rejuvenate lost motivation. So that kind of thing can help with burnout. Compassion fatigue is slightly different. It's it's really caused as you said by the consistent exposure to the suffering of others and to caring for these people. When your system is overwhelmed by input and you feel out of control and helpless, PTSD symptoms can come on suddenly or at least appear to come on suddenly. With compassion fatigue, the symptoms of burnout are compounded with secondary traumatic stress. PTSD symptoms develop due to indirect exposure to trauma. Not dealing with this can lead to lacking empathy and sort of a robotic detached approach to your life and your work. I worked in a crisis center for some time and I used to see this in colleagues, you know, when they would be interviewing um, a client or a patient, and they would be assessing for suicide, and they would literally be sitting there with their clipboard asking these questions in this very um, robotic manner, you know, are you feeling suicidal today? Um, Do you have a plan? They would go through this list without really engaging the human being. And I could really see how burned out they were and how um, affected they were, and the way that that was showing up in their work, that's dangerous, right? Um, I also have had experiences where I was really deeply affected by whatever I was encountering. I once interviewed a family uh, mother and a father and a child that were homeless, and the child was about seven years old, and after this particular you know, interview in the crisis center, I went home really deeply affected by how depressed this child was. And I met a seven-year-old child that just had almost no life in him he just wasn't you know there was no childlike energy about him he was so deeply depressed and the reality is you know you can't unsee what you see as a caring professional and you can't unhear what you hear you know when the work you do requires high levels of empathy which is the ability to connect you know with another person's experience It, it might not be that I I feel what that person's feeling, but I I've been there. I know what it's like to feel scared or sad or depressed so I can connect with them around that pain. Even if I'm not feeling that pain myself, I know what it's like. So being empathetic people, you know, we can't help but be impacted by the suffering of others. It's part of what makes us good at our work that we're giving, caring, helpful people. Empathy is essential in all of the helping professions. It's a little different than sympathy, which is really taking on the feelings of other people. And I know you're going to get to that a little bit later, Katrina. Um, so compassion fatigue can lead to really significant depression, anxiety, hypervigilance, like intrusive thoughts, nightmares, feelings of numbness and desensitization, a sense of isolation from others who have not had your experiences, um, tearfulness, and just having nothing left to give. Compassion fatigue leads to a pervasive experience of powerlessness and a loss of hope. Some of the warning signs could include abusing substances or or some other unhealthy coping strategy or addiction, feelings of anger, depression, irritability, anxiety, hopelessness, despair, and just feeling kind of gray, like life doesn't have much satisfaction. Another uh, warning sign could be chronic lateness, Um, A diminished sense of personal accomplishment, physical and emotional exhaustion, headaches, gastrointestinal issues, high expectations or perfectionism, which I see a lot of in the the medical community, hypertension, inability to maintain a healthy balance of empathy and objectivity, low self-esteem, workaholism, sexual dysfunction, and personal relationship distress. So as you can see, it's highly impactful.
2: Yeah, we can see um, it's incredible how it impacts the entire mind, body, and spirit and heart. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit too, about how to nurture each one of those pieces of ourselves. Uh, Before we get there, I did want to touch a little bit on some of the risk factors. Um, Some people are at higher risk for developing compassion fatigue. Uh, one, One risk factor is high stress levels. So... I think that that would probably qualify for most caring professions experience those high levels of stress at some point in their career or at different parts of the day. Another high risk factor is poor coping skills. So the idea here is that you want to figure out what works for you to cope and deal with that high level of stress and practice some of those before you need them and really know what works for you and what doesn't. A third risk factor is a lack of social support, and Ticey, you had mentioned that, specifically when you don't have a community of people who share an understanding of what it's been like for you as a caregiver. So finding that social support can be really important. Uh, Number four is insufficient self-care. So we're going to talk a lot about how to do better self-care before you become fatigued so that um, you can prevent feeling burnt out and uh, prevent some of that compassion fatigue. And then number five is a big one is a personal history of trauma. So if you have experienced some kind of trauma in your own life, you're much more likely to be triggered by other people's trauma. And so the most important thing is that the work is done to process through that and um, kind of ground yourself in what you've experienced so that other people's trauma doesn't trigger you. And lastly is poor boundaries. And I want to talk about that in depth in a little bit. So Tysi, could you talk a little bit about um, solutions?
1: Sure. So solutions, uh, what do you do to hopefully prevent compassion fatigue or deal with compassion fatigue? Just as the symptoms impact your whole being, the solutions include and and encompass your whole being as well. So mind, body, spirit, and heart. In this presentation, we're going to touch on each of these areas, but spend a little bit more time on the heart or emotional self. I Katrina is going to talk a little bit about physical aspect.
2: So let's start with the physical part of ourselves, um, which we're defining here as kind of the life force and the vitality of our bodies. And I think everyone can probably agree that um, exercise is healthy, sleep, good sleep hygiene, a healthy diet. Um, all of those things are really important. Getting sunlight, all of those things can help us have a good, healthy physical body. The point I want to make here is that um, thinking about it in a little bit of a reverse in that perhaps the lack of good physical habits might actually be a signal or a sign of an underlying emotional struggle or emotional issues. I think too often we tend to blame when there's a lack of good habit as if it's somehow a lack of self-discipline. But often when I'm working with clients and I hear that there's poor sleep or poor diet or um, using substances, it's often that there's something else going on underneath. And so looking at it as a signal can really help address the issue without blaming or talking about it being just change the habit and change your life. You've really got to figure out what's going on underneath. Makes so much sense to me.
1: And then the mind, or the mental part of us, this is the thinking part of us, our thinking processes can become dispersed, unclear, untamed, undisciplined, and scattered in times of prolonged stress. So it's important to include activities in your daily routine that help you to train your brain to stay focused. Our thoughts reflect our conscious and unconscious beliefs and programming. This programming underlies behavioral choices and impacts how we feel. Unconscious patterns of behavior can emerge in times of high stress. I mean, they can really emerge at any time, but certainly you are more inclined toward reactive, autopilot behavior in times of high stress. So becoming self-aware is essential. Cognitive behavioral therapy is one excellent way to become aware of and and to challenge faulty thinking and beliefs that no longer serve us. Some other measures to take to develop mental clarity and discipline are education and learning, reading, meditation and mindfulness practices, learning to center yourself in the midst of a crisis without practicing denial or disassociation, cognitive behavioral therapy, morning pages like mind dump journal practices, um, positive reinforcement learning to celebrate the small steps toward our goals and achievements, um, developing core routines, planning ahead, organizational strategy, money management, martial arts training, workshops and trainings, YouTube, Facebook groups, TED Talks, you get the picture. (laughs) Um, Anything that helps to train your brain so that it can focus in times of difficulty. And Katrina is going to talk a little bit about SPIRIT.
2: Okay, so SPIRIT is our third area of focus here for solutions and probably my favorite because it really gets us connected back to our why and back to our meaning. And I, I love asking people about uh, what is your story? What was the moment when you realized you wanted to be a nurse, a therapist, a doctor, a caregiver? And so the solution here is really to connect with that, not just when you're down and out, but all the time reconnecting with why do I do what I do? What is the bigger meaning? How do we celebrate that bigger meaning? How can we connect with other people in a way to serve something greater than ourselves that connects with that meaning for ourselves and who we're serving. And there's lots of ways to do this. Um, you can do it through your spiritual practice, um, connecting with your religious groups, connecting to your significant others and your co-workers. Uh, meditation is a really good way to remind yourself of why you do what you do and connecting with that higher meaning for yourself, getting in nature, connecting with art, prayer, Uh, It just really is about finding that joy, that play, that childlike connection with what really matters. And now let's move on to um, the heart where we're going to talk about emotions and then move into boundaries and the importance of boundaries. So emotion is just energy and it's a vitally important part of
1: us. There's really so much to say and to learn about this part of us, but today I want to focus on what and you know, what it is and why it's important to the discussion of compassion fatigue. So emotion is just energy that exists within all of us. We're not in control of this energy, it just comes up spontaneously. However, we're in control of how we direct it, how we react or respond to it, and how we channel it into behavior. So emotion is the energy that connects us to other people. This vital, connecting energy gives life poignancy, color, and meaning. It makes empathy possible. Like we have to first feel empathy in order to demonstrate it behaviorally. In order to be vital and healthy, we want to be in touch with the depths of our emotions and know how to use them in our lives to have connection with others and deep self-understanding. And as I mentioned, it's essential to empathizing. The problem is emotional energy can be blocked or denied. In fact, we all learn to deny certain emotions early in life in order to, su- to survive. Using denial, I can push the emotion I'm feeling outside of my own awareness. Sometimes people think that they're controlling their emotion this way, but really they're only controlling their awareness of their emotion. Blocking your emotions consistently eventually leads to a flattening experience, a sort of robotic disconnected approach to life and work that we mentioned before. Imagine for a moment that you're standing on a battlefield and bullets are whizzing by you. In a high-stress survival situation, you don't have time to feel and our brains are not wired toward feeling about the experience you're in during a survival moment. You have to push that energy away. You have to push it underground and outside of your awareness in order to survive. Being in healthcare, you often may be exposed to situations like these where life and death survival issues are happening in real time. If someone's bleeding, you have to stop the bleeding. You don't have time to feel about that situation. Or when the demands of your work require that you be on at all times, going from one suffering patient to another, it's easy to disconnect from how you feel and what's happening for you. But what happens to emotional energy that you've blocked in this way? It's just energy. so it didn't go anywhere. It's a little like pushing a beach ball underwater. At some point, that ball is gonna come up again somewhere. Maybe it'll come out in behavior toward others or in physical symptoms like stomach pain or in symptoms we're talking about today, of burnout and secondary trauma. So I can't say with enough emphasis how important it is to learn to become emotionally aware and learn to successfully process and deal with your emotions. This is key to being a healthy human, but it's also key to being a healthy and great healthcare professional. And therapy is really where you learn this. So some things you might consider to get ahead of compassion fatigue or burnout are a consistent individual therapy practice, group therapy, which is wonderful like for debriefing opportunities for people who are um, have these symptoms and are struggling here. And debriefing opportunities really are a place where you get to connect with other people who understand what you're going through and um, developing healthy and supportive friendships and relationships, uh, learning to create emotional safety within yourself and for others, learning healthy relationship skills, identifying your true values and learning to align your behavior with those values, developing a good journal practice for the purpose of emotional exploration Reading about emotional health, learning to identify and deal with your personal issues, which we all have, offering support and nurturance to others, caring about about others without taking on responsibility for others is a key factor here in compassion fatigue and for becoming a healthy person in a relationship, like learning to identify and understand healthy limits of responsibility and set appropriate limits and boundaries which is the perfect opportunity here or segue for Katrina to talk about boundaries.
2: Yes, boundaries. I don't think we can talk about relationships. We cannot talk about caring professions, and we certainly cannot talk about compassion fatigue without talking about boundaries. Tysi, I think you would agree this could be an entire podcast or maybe several. Um, So we just wanted to touch on it here a little bit and get you thinking about how boundaries in your own life affect your own health. So when I think about boundaries, I think about where somebody leaves off and another person begins. And we can look at this on a continuum from what's called rigid boundaries. So this is where there's lots of walls up and there's a lot of distance emotionally between two people. On the other end of the continuum is enmeshed boundaries. And so this is where it's really difficult to tell where someone leaves off and another person begins and both of these ends of the continuum can be very unhealthy. Certainly, every relationship has a different set of boundaries, and that healthy set point would be different for each one. You obviously have a very different um, boundary with your spouse than you do, say, your boss or a coworker. worker um, But nonetheless, too enmeshed or too rigid can be very unhealthy. When people experience uh, compassion fatigue, they may have started out enmeshed, And then as a result, end up on the other end where the boundaries are really rigid and they become disconnected. They lose that human connection, that human experience with that other person. Um, I define boundaries as misplaced ownership. So that's taking on what's not yours. We own our own thoughts, feelings, and actions. And when we start to take on other people's, then that's when we get some boundary issues. And then lastly... Um, I just want to say that um, boundaries are not about changing someone else's behavior. They are 100% about changing our own behavior, and that can be really hard to know what is someone else's and what's mine. But particularly in fields where, as Ticey mentioned, maybe the system isn't set up so great or maybe the system is causing struggles, but one of the most empowering things is take ownership over your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. And I hope that that's what you've heard as we've talked about some of these solutions is it's not changing what's outside yourself, but really looking in and saying, what do I need and how can I give myself that? And I would just add, you know, to, to
1: really look at the opportunities like therapy as an example, as an opportunity for your looking inward and for you to become a healthier person rather than some admission of failure or something. It's, it's really not that therapy is a place where you can learn to look inward in a skillful way and really deal with all these symptoms and even get
2: ahead of them. Absolutely. And I think adding to that also is that um, therapy is a learning about who we are. And then also, again, connecting back to why do we do what we do and what do we want from life and um, how did we get here and where do we want to go? So it doesn't have to be a scary thing, although I know it can feel like it if you've never um, done counseling or therapy before. But Wow, it can be so rewarding. And empowering. Yeah, for sure. OK, so I think that um, concludes our presentation on compassion fatigue.
1: Yeah, we hope to leave you with the realization that this is a very basic overview of compassion fatigue and hopefully helps you to understand it in a little bit, maybe understand it better than you had before. But any component of what we just talked about, we can go into great depth around.
2: Absolutely. I feel like um, we can talk about it, but the real magic happens is when you start to do some of the exercises and the meditations and the discussions where you can really get into what's going on for you personally and be able to connect with others. Also want to add, if you have any of these topics that you would like Ticey and I to go into more detail about, we can certainly pick any one of those topics and um, do another podcast and talk about it in much more detail. So feel free to Reach out or comment below if any of it's of interest to you. So, thank you, everyone. Um, I appreciate you. Thanks for having me, Katrina. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Ticey.
0: Thanks for listening. If you found this information helpful and would like to schedule an online or on site presentation at your location, please reach out to Ticey Belcastro at counselingwithticey.com or Dr. Caden at individualmatters.org. Presentations can be tailored to your needs and audience, whether you work in healthcare, education, or another industry, and range in topic from compassion fatigue to healthy relationships, mindfulness, communication in the workplace, parenting, education and learning, and clinical and professional development. For more on boundaries and their importance for building healthy relationships, be sure to check out Dr. Caton's book, The Ownership Yard, available on Amazon. Last, consider subscribing to the monthly Individual Matters newsletter. This is completely free and includes lots of information and help for healthy and successful living. Visit the Individual Matters website or go directly to individualmatters.org/newsletter-sign-up.
1: The preceding information is not intended to provide or serve as medical, clinical, or educational advice. Individual Matters is not responsible for the accuracy of guest statements. All information should be validated independently. Please consult with your doctor, mental health provider,
2: attorney, or other appropriate professionals before making any personal decisions for yourself or those in your care.